and welcome to Conversations, a monthly podcast from GSFM. The series will focus on investment concepts and outcomes of interest to you and your clients. Our first series focuses on income, and this is the fifth podcast in the income series. Today's podcast features GSFM's CEO, Damien McIntyre, along with Payden and Regal's Eric Suders. Eric is a director and strategist on the Global Unconstrained Fixed Income Team with a focus on absolute return solutions and a portfolio manager of our Paid and Global Income Opportunities Fund. Before I hand over, I need to read this important notice. The information contained in this podcast is general and does not consider your objectives, financial situations or needs. The information and views contained in this update reflects as of the date of recording, the current opinions of the participants and are subject to change without notice. Before making an investment decision in relation to a fund, investors should consider the appropriateness of this information, having regard to their own objectives, financial situations and needs. This podcast was recorded on the 10th of May, 2022. Damo and Eric, it's over to you. Thank you, Tracy. And just to welcome you from my perspective and to to say once again that the whole theme of these podcasts is to bring our expert fund managers into a conversation about income. And today's conversation is with one of our longest investment partners, Payton & Regal, and the portfolio manager of the Global Income Opportunities Fund, Eric Souders. Welcome, Eric. Thank you, Demo. Good to be here. Perhaps we can start by addressing the several elephants that have entered the room in the last six to eight months, and those elephants being inflation, rising interest rates, and then with the combination of inflation and rising interest rates, their likely impact on global growth, and then ultimately how that feeds into the bond market, like equities, has uh, has suffered a, a period of volatility in you know, since the beginning of calendar year 2022. Why don't we start with inflation? And the Fed sort of, they held this narrative that these inflation prints were transitory and what we're finding out, that's not the case. So what's your take on this and, and what do you see as the trajectory for inflation, not just in the US, but uh, in other parts of the world? Yeah, obviously a very very interesting time. A few a few different uh, a few different proverbial elephants all all kind of coalescing at once. You know, I think that uh, just starting starting very broadly, we're we're obviously coming out of a very extraordinary time period. You know, not, none of us have experienced uh, in our lifetime, which is which is a pandemic, and you know the the amount of stimulus associated with really bridging the gap around a global economic shutdown. It's pretty unprecedented, you know, in terms of what's gone on in the uh, in the developed markets, and I think that the intentions of, of that stimulus were obviously very good and necessary at that time. We're beginning to experience some of the uh, some of the consequences of some of that stimulus, which now arguably has has been excessive stimulus. Uh, I'd say specifically uh, in the U.S., where we had a couple of extremely large stimulus packages, and the recovery uh, from an economic standpoint and an employment standpoint. And really a reopening standpoint, I think, has happened much faster than many market participants, the Federal Reserve, uh, and just policymakers writ large uh, expected. So you kind of had this really interesting combination of, of excessive stimulus that was designed to bridge a gap that ended up being a much, a much shorter gap than I think many market participants uh, anticipated. And because of that, 
We're now seeing an extremely hot uh, economy, at least here in the U.S. It's a bit more disparate globally, but nevertheless, coming out of COVID, the demand for goods has, has been has been quite strong. And now we're seeing that really translate into more broad-based uh, demand for, for services. And so we're seeing inflation data really permeate across both goods and services uh, over the last three to six months. And I think that, again, that's really a function of, of that stimulus coming out of COVID combined with really st- uh, stable durability from an economic standpoint. And, you know, we're seeing the labor market here in the U.S. arguably as tight as it's ever been. You know, you're seeing something like two job openings for every person looking for a job. So an extremely tight labor market. And again, I think that the backdrop was was really put in place 12 to 18 months ago. And, you know, we're coming out of an extraordinary time and now experiencing pretty extraordinary backdrop from an, from an inflation standpoint. So I think that Fed has been has been a little bit behind the curve. And I think that, you know, the market is is trying is trying to figure out where that likely equilibrium is from from an inflation standpoint. Well, certainly, I don't think the Fed is, is on their own in being behind the curve. It's certainly been uh, our case down here in Australia, as you know. To some extent, New Zealand went a little earlier than us, but Australia only moved for the first time last week. It was a moderate move. When you head to the 75 basis points that we've already seen in uh, rate moves in the United States, Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, again, coming out of a very extraordinary time period has obviously been been exacerbated by the conflict in Russia and Ukraine. And so that I think has just created an additional element that was that was completely unexpected by by policymakers and has really just, I think, been the icing on the cake, so to speak, from an inflation standpoint. So, yes, I think that, you know, policymakers uh, in the developed markets have been well, now it's, it's probably very clear that they've been behind the curve and that they need to move, you know, fa- fairly expeditiously. And the Fed is, has actually used that exact word. We're expeditiously trying to make things right, raise rates. Um, but the trick for them now is doing it in such a way where, you know, they can try and tame inflation by virtue of slowing growth, but not not slowing growth too much. And I think that's that's really the crossroads that the market's at now, which is, you know, perhaps we've we've peaked from an inflation standpoint, and we can talk a little bit about that. How's that going to in, impact growth? Um, and then, you know, sort of comparing that to where to where valuations have been over the last, you know, three to six months have been, you know, reasonably stretched. And so you have these three things coming together, coming together at once, which is, you know, inflation, that's, that's a problem, uh, growth, which is going to be slowed because of that. And then also valuations, which have been, you know, uh, fairly lofty across uh, both equity and credit markets. I haven't had a look at the US 10 year this morning, but the last time I looked, it was 3.16% or 316 basis points. In the last two years, it's that's four times up. It wasn't that long ago that the US 10 year was in the mid 70s. Right. Yeah. It's been a very, very extraordinary move. I think we've been a little bit surprised that the market isn't pricing a more, a more dramatic outcome in, in the long end of the curve. And what we're, what we've been looking at is, is 10 year real rates. And what we've seen just the last 30 to 60 days is 10 year real rates here in the U.S. rise from roughly minus 1% uh, all the way to, uh, positive 25 basis points, which is, is a pretty breathtaking move and actually puts us back uh, from a real rate standpoint where we were kind of at the end of the, at the end of the hiking cycle in, in the last half of 2018. So it's been a pretty spectacular move with respect to, you know, both nominal, but I'd say more specifically real rates. So we think there's a little bit more value now actually in, in the, in the intermediate to long end of the curve. 
But what's really fascinating, Damo, is if you look at inflation expectations kind of five years, five years forward, which is your normal barometer for, for medium to longer term inflation expectations, that number is only around 3%. So dis- despite an inflation number today, which is you know around 8% here in the US and is obviously elevated in other markets like, like Australia, like Europe, for example, the market is really, I think, discounting how long that inflation is likely to remain in place. You know, we're looking at that five-year, five-year number at 3% and, and taking a little bit more comfort that, you know, this might be transitory and that the market is thinking along those same lines. And one one quick data point that I would I'd mention just to kind of support the this might be transitory outcome is we have seen a pretty meaningful shift in some of the uh, inflation data over the last month or so where durable goods in terms of real PCE growth is actually 10% lower on a year-over-year basis in, in that last report, while services inflation is a, is about 6% higher. So we're seeing a, a very natural evolution from goods to services inflation and a pretty dramatic decline there in durable goods. So we do think that there's reason to think this may be peak inflation that we're experiencing now. It, it's likely to be a little bit sticky, but we do we do think that there's reason to believe that we have peaked and then inflation is likely to move lower over the next uh, three to 12 months. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if you step back and look at this unemotionally, the supply chain issues coming out of COVID and then exacerbated through the recent conflicts in Ukraine, they're one thing, and and eventually they will wash out. When all this settles down, there'll be a period of adjustment, maybe six months a year, but eventually that corrects itself. There's one question, though, that that I'm curious about your thoughts on, and that is the labour market. Certainly in Australia, until very recently, our borders have been closed, so migration has been zero. And and that's, you know, causing this tightness in the labour market here. We've almost, if we haven't had our lowest unemployment print recently, you know, certainly in the next read, uh, or the next print, I should say, how do you see migration impacting employment numbers in the United States. Do you think that has been a contributor to the tightness there? I do I do think that that's that that's certainly contributing toward it. I, you know, I think that I think we just have an extremely strong labor market where again, you know, coming coming out of COVID, there's been just just tremendous resurgence in terms of you know, demand for services and I think that employers probably and rightfully so, they probably over overreacted a, a bit throughout COVID in terms of, you know, maybe layoffs and downsizing and we've seen come back with a vengeance here over the last Three to six months, so the labor market is is extremely tight, and I actually think that it's likely to remain tight for quite some time. And that's that's a reason to be, I think, pretty optimistic on the outcome for financial markets. And you know, the fact that we do have you know decent opportunities now to actually incorporate income in the portfolios in such a way where you know the labor market's tight, the consumer remains really strong here in in the U.S. certainly, and, and the employment backdrop we we don't think is likely to change for quite some time, just given the pure mismatch in terms of job openings versus versus people that are actually looking for jobs. So again, I think that you know the Fed is probably probably going to be looking to slow growth a bit because that's really the only way that they can tame inflation in the near term. But even even then, I think that the employment backdrop is is so strong that uh, that that provides pretty good fundamental support for the broad economic backdrop. So you really don't see even with rising interest rates given the, the strength of the consumer and that the consumer is largely employed, it, it really will underpin growth numbers for a while. 
I think that's right. I mean, you know, consumption is 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 roughly two two thirds of the economy here, and certainly the primary factor on a global basis. And so, employment is paramount in that regard. So, you know, you could have a situation, and this, you know, part of the calculus that we're thinking about going forward, you could have a situation where there there might be a recession from kind of an asset price standpoint and just a just a valuation standpoint in financial markets but not necessarily a Main Street recession where you have a material spike in unemployment. So we're, we're obviously in a very unique time period coming out of, again, an extraordinary backdrop. So it, it, it shouldn't surprise us if, if strange things happen in that way, meaning there could just be a, you know, sort of a, a Wall Street slowdown that doesn't necessarily impact Main Street to the same degree that it might have in prior recessions. Asset prices really are all priced off interest rates. So it's a matter of, I mean, markets will settle when the bond market settles, in my humble opinion. So let, let's just talk about the trajectory of rates past and future. So we've seen the Fed move 50 basis points at the last strike. Where do you see the trajectory for the remainder of calendar year uh, 22? Right. So I definitely agree that, you know, the market is, is taking cues from, from what, what's going on, uh, with respect to interest rates from a valuation standpoint. So we think that the way the market is pricing the Fed today is, is, is pretty, pretty fair. We think in, in other parts of the world, like your, your neck of the woods in Australia, the market is probably overpriced the RBA a little bit. So we don't necessarily think that 2% will be the terminal rate in, in Australia. Um, but we, we do think that the market is appropriately pricing in what's going on with respect to the Fed. I think that, you know, 50 basis points is probably fair for the next couple of meetings. I've got to say, I think that the Fed is, is they're, they're obviously behind the curve. And, and so, you know, if you kind of use an analogy of driving a car and approaching an intersection where, where the light's red, you know, the Fed probably knew that the light was red, you know, pretty far away from the intersection and they could have began tapping the brakes. They didn't necessarily take that route. So they're probably forced to pump the brakes a bit faster at the intersection. So, that's, a, that's, I think, a long way of saying that if the conflict in Ukraine and Russia continues and we don't see dissipation with respect to you know, some of the wage, wage price inflation that we've seen, it is possible that the Fed does pivot a bit and, and look to go 75 basis points, you know, one of the next meetings. It could be the next meeting or the one after. This is despite Powell taking that off the table at the last meeting. Um, I think that that's kind of been walked back by some other governors. So we do think that the Fed's going to continue to go. We think that you know seven or eight rate hikes cumulatively is pretty fair the next seven to seven to seven to eight months or so. But we don't really think a terminal rate in the U.S. beyond you know three and a quarter to three and a half percent is is likely. And I think that again the market is already is already testing that is and is already telling the Fed that that um, you know higher rates, especially if it occurs in a very short period of time, it's it's tough for the market to price that. You know normally monetary policy takes 12 to 18 months just to show its 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 effect and so you have a situation where that's really being pulled forward in a very very short window there's not going to be enough time to really tell um, how much impact it's having on markets and so I think that's where that's where the crossroad resides today which is the market trying to really price things and understand how the Fed's path and pace is going to affect valuation so you know we think that interest rates are pretty fair here. Uh, we think that the the yield curve in the U.S. is is likely to flatten before before it's likely to steepen. We've seen some steepening here in a more recent couple of weeks, but we do think the path of least resistance is probably a flattening of of the yield curve, and that's that's largely a function of growth likely being a bit more priced out going forward relative to what's been going on the last the last few months. I'm curious on your thoughts about short term rates will approach 200 basis points. 
through calendar year 22. I think that's not an unrealistic expectation for investors. And then you think the 10-year should be somewhere around 300 to 350 as a consequence of that. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that, you know, when we think about, you know, kind of long-term inflation expectations around, around let's say, two two and a half to two and three quarter percent, that, that seems pretty fair. Probably a bit higher than, than inflation has been running the last 10 years, which is closer to two percent. So let's just, you know, let's just say that inflation is 50 to 75 basis points higher. And then you're left with, with a real rate of around 75 basis points. That puts fair value on the 10 year around three and a half percent. As you mentioned, Damo, we think here, you know, with 10 year yields around 3.1 percent, they're a bit, a bit lower today. We think that we're pretty close to fair value on the 10 year. And when we look at the front end of the curve, especially in, in, in the U.S., we think that three percent is likely to be a peak in terms of where the front end, um, in terms of where the front end might go over the next three to six months. So let's just take a quick walk around the park in terms of, uh, obviously, we've discuss your thoughts about the cash rate and your thoughts about the 10 year let's talk about some of the some of the other assets Payton and known as a, a low duration manager and you do prefer to invest at the short end of the curve what are you seeing in those markets yeah absolutely so you know the good news about this strategy uh, being unconstrained and, and not having a benchmark is we've got a real nice universe to choose from so I think that our view there, broadly speaking, it, it ties into what I was describing with respect to the consumer and just the durability of, of the labor market, not only here in the U.S., but I think I think um, across developed markets. And that is we're starting at a very, very strong point from a profitability standpoint, from from a from a profit margin standpoint. Leverage has been coming down in, in the high yield market now for really for, for four or five quarters. And we're seeing it just in terms of fundamentals, um, you know, arguably the strongest, the strongest starting point, you know, going back multiple years. So, so that's the good news. And I think that from a default standpoint, the likelihood of, of broad defaults is just quite low. And I think that that's one of the main reasons why high yield so far this year hasn't overreacted in the same way that it may have in the past when the equity market goes down 15 or 20 percent. So all that's to say with yields in the front end in investment grade credit now, I mean, you can buy, you know, triple B rated, very stable, very solid businesses with yields of you know, four and a half to five percent. That's fantastic. And if you look at those yields now in the fixed income market, they're actually higher uh, than they are in the equity market. That has not been the case going back the last two or three years when, when all in yields were very low. So you have the chance to own very solid investment grade corporate names where fundamentals are, are, just, are just very, very sound at yields that are not only attractive from an, out, from an outright standpoint, but also relative to you know, some, of the, some of your alternative of yield, yield options, which would be you know, buying the common stock. So we think fixed income looks, looks interesting, especially in the investment grade corporate market. We also like certain parts of, of the securitized market. I think that, you know, for us, the housing market here in, in the U.S. Has, has been incredibly strong, uh, arguably too strong over the last uh, six months. You've got a combination of things going on, which is, you know, a tremendous supply demand imbalance. We're at roughly a 40 year low in, in net inventory here in the U.S. in residential housing. You've got credit underwriting that remains very strong. It's actually become even stronger post COVID. So underwriting is, is sound and, and valuations look pretty good in that, in that market as well. And of course, you know, you have some inflation protection there. So we like, we like the housing market, both residential and commercial. 
because we think that it offers a real nice way to incorporate stable income, but also have some some resistance to to the inflation backdrop as as real assets like housing prices uh, tend to go up during inflationary periods. So, you know, I'd say that there are very good prospects, Damo, right now uh, across the corporate credit market, investment grade, and really high yield. I didn't even talk about high yield, um, but also in certain parts of the securitized market, like commercial and residential mortgage credit, where you can get a real nice profile from an income standpoint, but also provide some insulation with respect to inflation. And, and what are your thoughts about emerging markets? Emerging markets um, has been a really interesting category over the last uh, 12 months. It's one of the rare times in really in history where we've seen emerging market central banks raise rates before the developed world. Typically, you see developed markets um, like the US or Australia or, or Europe raising rates before the emerging market complex. The emerging market world had experienced much, much more elevated inflation really the last the last year or two coming out of COVID relative to what we what we'd experienced in the developed markets. And so the central banks there have been raising rates much faster than the developed world. And so it's nice because now they're in a position to actually be able to cut rates. And so if, if there is a global slowdown from an economic standpoint, the emerging market world is in a position to be able to ease relative to the developed market, which is clearly not anywhere near easing mode for now. The other good news for the emerging market complex is the commodity backdrop has been extremely stable. The emerging market world is usually heavily, heavily reliant on commodities, but also can tend to be exporters of commodities. So certain parts of, of Asia or, or Latin America, for example, have been an area of focus for us where you're seeing real yields that are elevated because of the in inflation that I, that I described and central banks raising rates, and then also them benefiting from an economic standpoint from the rise in commodities as many of these countries are, are commodity exporters. I think the wild card there, Demo, is going to be China. You know, what we've seen um, with respect to the COVID lockdowns the last the last several weeks has, has been a bit of a concern because obviously China is a big driver for not only global markets, but but obviously the emerging market world more specifically. And so we are expecting China to to stand up to the the sort of the four and a half to five percent growth target that they've talked about the last couple of quarters. And we do think that China will likely provide more stimulus for their economy. But I think that's the one thing that we're really keeping a close eye on is what will China do next? The, the position in China really is quite extraordinary, given COVID is, is almost a thing of the past. In the West, in the UK, for example, it, it's almost like it didn't exist. So it's, it's, it, to see an economy the size of China in lockdown really is extraordinary, given we're two years on and the world is so much more vaccinated than it was even a year ago. For every day and year you work in the markets and, <laughs> and live in the world, really nothing should, should surprise us, should it? Now, no. coming back, just to sort of tie this all together, what we've seen is, is some, some reasonable or significant volatility, depending on your standpoint, in financial markets since the beginning of January. Bond markets have, have adjusted significantly, but we're in the business of buying bonds to generate income. So right now, the backdrop for us in that context is actually pretty good. And eventually, uh, whether it's this quarter or next quarter, it will stabilize as the war in the Ukraine sorts itself out and as these supply chain issues around the globe sort of. So the backdrop's, you know, looking pretty good. And as you discussed earlier, Eric, we've got lots of, uh, lots of different asset classes that were previously 
expensive for want of a better description that now look very interesting you must be feeling good as well as good as you can under these circumstances about deploying capital into some of these asset classes yes i think that you know when we invest we're all we're always thinking of three main categories fundamentals valuations and then and then technicals and liquidity and when we evaluate each of those major categories today the fundamental backdrop it, it still remains quite strong as i mentioned the starting point is about as good as we've seen going back five to 10 years from just a profitability and just a debt service standpoint, really across corporate credit and the broad securitized uh, arena. So that's positive. Um, it's, it's likely to slow, but again, I think the starting point is extremely important. The valuations, well, they look a lot better than they did six months ago. And that's, that's not only on the, on the risk-free rate side as we've got higher, higher yields across, you know, the developed government markets globally. But we've also got credit spreads that are now looking pretty, pretty interesting. You know, investment grade credit spreads at around 150 basis points. That looks pretty good when you when you kind of stack that up historically. High yield credit spreads, you know, at you know 400 or so basis points is beginning to look up pretty interesting. So, so valuations are looking much, much better, particularly when you when you kind of examine, as you mentioned, Damon, when you kind of examine the prospects on a go forward basis versus what we've experienced historically. It's really difficult when you're investing in front end fixed income, kind of in that, you know, three to four year maturity range. It's really difficult to lose money on a forward looking basis when yields are around four to five percent. So we, we like the precedent that's been established from an historic standpoint, particularly when we look at the fundamentals, which are quite strong. The final category is, is technicals and liquidity. And I think that, you know, the, the, the Federal Reserve is they're they're taking their foot off the gas. They're not going to be purchasing as many assets. The market is trying to process that. And so we actually think that 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 could turn into a positive once some of this, I think, temporary negative sentiment and just calculus that the market's trying to figure out once that's processed over the next one to three months. We really think you're probably going to have a very supportive backdrop in all three of those categories. So yeah, I think that you know from from our lens, we feel about as good as we have in you know multiple quarters with respect to the prospects for for short duration fixed income on on a go forward basis. Well, that's great, Eric. Thank you very much for your thoughts, Eric. You'll be in Australia in the last week of May, and you'll be visiting clients across Australia. Uh, by that time, this podcast will have been published. But that said, I'm sure in in, in different forums. All of our clients can explore the, these topics with you in greater detail. And the nice part also is that for the first time in two and a half years, we can do it face to face. Absolutely. Yes, very much looking forward to that. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time, Eric. And we look forward to seeing you out in Australia soon. Fantastic. Thank you, Daniel. Cheers. 